I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so great to be with you guys. There's, there's just something about coming together and worshiping with you guys that just, like, it puts it all in perspective for me. Um, I don't know what your week has been like, but you might be coming in here, joining us on, online and just carrying a lot of, of stuff with you. And when we come together, we all face in the same direction. We all turn our hearts and our voices in the same direction to give praise to Jesus. There's something that changes within us. I invite you to pray with me. Oh God, you are faithful to us, your people. You are steadfast. You will never leave us. And though our hearts can be fickle and chase after all kinds of shiny things, you love us all the same and you draw us back to yourself over and over again. So that's what this act of worship, this time of sitting in your word is all about, that we might be drawn into your presence, God. Draw us into your presence. Remind us that as our hearts are maybe beating faster than normal and we've got a lot of things on our mind, that it is well with our soul, not just because we proclaim it for ourselves, but because you have given this gift to us in Jesus, a gift of peace in the middle of a storm, a gift of hope where there seems to be no hope, a gift of life, light when it seems like there's darkness and a gift of life when it feels like we are experiencing death. So God, help us to come alive through the power of your spirit today. God, we pray that you'll hear and delight in our praises and in the words of our hearts as we lift them up to you now. As now we join our voices together and praying together this prayer that Jesus gave us, his disciples, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, again, my name is Mark. And um, one thing I've realized recently is that um, sometimes I'll see people kind of from a distance, and especially like when, when it's like hat season, and that, that like really is like a real, that covers me up quite a bit. And um, when we're wearing masks, you know, and I'll see somebody from a distance and they'll be like, they, I can tell they can't quite tell who I am, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to go like, it's me. One thing that I've noticed that helps though, is this, uh, if, I, if I come at you like this, people are like, oh, it's Mark. <laughs> like they're used to seeing me with a coffee cup in my hand. I have this like, uh, we'll call it a condition um, where I like coffee. That's, one, that's part of it. But I also just like to carry a coffee cup around. I don't know what it is. I'll carry the same cup around all day long. It's like my little security blanket or something. But people recognize me when I have a coffee cup in my hand. Well, uh, Jenny and I went to college at this uh, school. It's called Friends University, smack dab in the middle of Kansas. And one of our classmates, when we, when we went there, um, he was a graduate student who had who come about the same time we did. His name was Rich Mullins. And he was a songwriter and a, um, kind of like the early days of contemporary Christian music. Um, he chose our school to go to. Um, really interesting guy. It's just cool to just kind of be a- around him. But one of the things that he did, um, well, one of the things he didn't know was how much money he made off of his music. 
because he had actually hired this like accountant guy to receive all the money that, that was coming in for the music that he made and sold. And he was paid like the average working man's salary, like just, just above the poverty level. So he lived off of that his whole, his whole life. And so when he came to our school to go to school, he uh, lived in the attic of the chaplain of the university. Like the chaplain had a family and there's this guy living up, a like musician living up. And how cliche is that, right? He was living up in, in their attic. And um, every day he would walk out to his beat up truck carrying a cup of coffee. He would get in the truck and he would drive to school. Well, one day the chaplain was telling us the story. Like one day he followed him out of the house and he went up to, to Rich's uh, truck and he was getting in and he looked in the truck and saw on the floorboard like half of the family's coffee cups <laughs> were like rolling around on, on the floorboard. Now, there's not a lot um, that I can identify with Rich Mullins in my own life, but the coffee cup thing, I'm just going to go with that one, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim that one. Um, so I have this thing. I'm kind of known for it, for carrying coffee cups around and leaving them, leaving them different places. Um, some people say, like, it's sloppy. I say maybe we could call it my ministry. It's part of my ministry, <laughs> you know. I, I think of it like maybe I'm just leaving like a calling card, you know, like somebody will pick it up later and just go, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. So I've left coffee cups intentionally or unintentionally, unintentionally, in uh, a lot of different places. Like I've served in uh, four different churches over the last many years, and so I, I feel pretty confident that every one of those kitchens in those churches has some, of, some coffee cup that was mine that is sitting there. It's just kind of like part of my legacy. We'll call it a ministry. Also, I was blessed to marry a wife who has the exact same condition that I, that I have. <laughs> so we're like Johnny Appleseed, you know, like going all over the place, just spreading caffeinated cheer to all <laughs> that we see. <laughs> and all of that is true, yet our coffee cup cabinet at home is always packed. I don't know how, <laughs> how it happens. <laughs> so there's something like, you know, I get people say, well, you're, you're messy, you're, you're sloppy, you're leaving stuff around. And now, though, that I'm more mature, I've noticed that I've kind of shifted into a different season of life where I'm walking around the house and I'm picking up other people, there's six people living in my home, other people's dishes, you know? And it's not as endearing as I imagined that my coffee cup ministry might, might be, you know? I'm just like picking stuff up and oh, God, it's like a constant, constant thing. But still, in this last season, last few weeks, we've had all of our kids under one roof and it's been the holidays, we've had snow days, and we've had like lazy days watching movies together. And it was a mess. It's been a mess. It's still a mess, but it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. The mess is evidence of life that's taking place all around us. Another way of saying that is that there is beauty in the messes in our lives. And something that I'm learning is that messes can be cleaned up. Some days I'm not sure, but messes can be cleaned up, but it takes time. Like there's a process. It takes time to clean up messes. So you have to live in the mess for a little while sometimes. It takes time to clean up a mess. Well, the verse that's been at the center of this series that we've been in this month are these words from Jesus, John 16. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we've looked at this for the last few weeks. We've heard these words of Jesus kind of over and over again. And at some different points along the way, we might have wondered, what does Jesus mean by trouble? In this world, you will have trouble. And I think that's possible that one of the things that Jesus might have been 
thinking of is, is realizing that we will have messes in our lives that we are going to face. We're going to face some, some messiness in our lives. There's going to be some junk that piles up on your floors. There's going to be some junk that piles up on your counters. There's going to be some junk that piles up in your heart. <laughs> the trouble that we face can show up as messiness in our lives. So we've been saying that it's good that Jesus says to us, in this world, you will have trouble. Like it's coming because the acknowledgement of Jesus that our lives won't be neat and clean is a way of Jesus saying to us, the mess is evidence that you're living a life. <laughs> if it's not messy, like maybe get going a little more. <laughs> you hear this, take heart, Jesus says. There's gonna be messiness. In this world, you'll have trouble. And if you are alive and if you're in this world, there's gonna be some things that aren't gonna be tidy that you can't just put into neat categories and clean up. The mess is actually evidence that you are alive. And Jesus says that we can take heart in the middle of messiness. Take heart means that you can look at the pile of coffee cups and because of Jesus, you can take heart. There's beauty even in that mess. When Jesus says, I have overcome the world, he's saying, I'm gonna take care of all your trouble. Like the messes, eventually they're gonna be they're going to be cleaned up. It might take some time, but all the messes are eventually going to be cleaned up or they won't even matter to you anymore. And I, I know lately that it has felt like the messiness of our lives has been messier. Is that fair to say? Like we've always, there's always messiness in our life, but it feels like recently maybe the messiness has gotten even messier. <laughs> For instance, with the people in your life, like dynamics with family and friends, is it fair to say, have shifted a little bit more dramatically in 2020 and 2021? I'm just naming some things that you already know. I'm not telling any, any, you anything that you don't already know, but we have to name them in order for the, the confusion, to get rid of the confusion that messiness causes for us. Like the, the evil one, there's darkness in this world and it thrives on confusion. And so we're naming this. We're naming the messiness so that we can begin to get rid of the confusion. We name the mess and it loses its power. For almost everyone, 2021, 2020 and 2021, uh, there's at least one relationship that got messy this year. Like you've got one in your mind right now. I didn't even have to ask the question, right? There's, there's, there's gotta be at least one relationship that's gotten messy this year. And maybe it was already messy before it all began, like you knew that you didn't vote like somebody else that you're in a relationship with, or you knew that you had different passions and interests than somebody else. But what I call the escalation of everything in the last couple of years took us down a difficult road, right? Like everything that was anything is now escalated and seems bigger. And what was already messy got messier. My, uh, my mother-in-law passed away uh, this last fall it still doesn't even seem like real to me, but, but it is. And at Thanksgiving, um, really a couple months after she passed away, everybody got together. It took an, an occasion to, to celebrate her life. And so her kids and there were aunts and, and uncles and grandkids and great grandkids. And if you can picture the scene, we gathered for Thanksgiving the day before the memorial service and we gathered in a lobby of a hotel. <laughs> And there were like 30, 35 kids running around the lobby. The hotel had set up this nice little hot chocolate station, you know, and kids were running around and dumping chocolate everywhere. And it was messy, like literally, <laughs> it, was, it was messy. 
but it was also relationally messy. You know, because we all come in from different places. We have different views on everything. We try to keep things from getting too messy. And I'm just going to like confess before you, that's one of my roles. Almost everywhere <laughs> that I am is to keep things from getting too messy. I've got a friend from Gladeville who he works in the blasting business, like, like pre-construction blasting of rocks. There's a lot of rocks around here, right? So anytime a building's about to be built, somebody needs to come in and do the, the blasting to, to remove it all, right? Well, that's his line of work. And he was telling me about what he does and how, what that process looks like. And he said that every time like they, they lay down the, the explosives and they put a blast mat, they call it, over the top of that. It's like a big, heavy blanket that they put over the ground that they're about to to blow up, and it's to keep things from just kind of getting too crazy, right? From, from de- it's to keep debris from flying all over the place, from getting on people, from the messiness, right? Like getting everywhere. That's my role in family gatherings. <laughs> I'm the blast mat. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like the, the peacemaker in most of these situations, no matter which like gathering of which part of my family, that is kind of a role that I play. And so this is just a true confession again. It's as if I think I have to overcome the world in those situations. Like it all relies on me to keep it like from getting out of hand and from debris flying all over the place. It doesn't rely on me. (laughs) Would we believe that Jesus is going to take care of it? Right? Because, well, he, as he said, has overcome the world. And at some point, Jesus says, you've got to let it go. I have overcome the world. So stop trying to manage all this stuff in in your life and just start living, even when you're in the middle of the messiness. So today I want to share with you a way to pray through the messiness. Does that sound okay? Like, we'll just kind of talk about, this is from Jesus, so it's it's not just something I made up. This is is from, from Jesus, a way to pray through the messiness in our lives. So if you've got your Bible in front of you, looking at this verse, John 16, that we have been, been talking about, when John wrote this, when he wrote the Gospel of John, there weren't chapters and verses that were in that. So this verse that we've been looking at is actually at the end of chapter 16. So your Bible looks like this. End of chapter 16 says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The next verse it's the first verse of chapter 17. It says, after, this, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed. The reason I'm drawing that distinction is you might just read to the end of the chapter, put a bookmark in it and come back to it the next time. And the next time you pick up on chapter 17, you might forget what came right before it. But it obviously, obviously by the language of it, it flows right together. So when John wrote it, he wrote, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed. So Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. And after he said this, he prayed. So if he prayed right after he said this really important line that we have been focused on for for several weeks, maybe we want to pay attention to what it is that he's praying about. How is he praying when he's coming out of this saying, take heart in the midst of trouble? What Jesus prays is the longest recorded prayer that we have of Jesus's. And what do you think he prayed for? Who do you think he prayed for? He was just telling his disciples, those guys that had been like traveling around, they had been with him in this. He was telling them that he was leaving and that trouble was, was going to be coming, but they could face it and they could face it with courage. And so Jesus 
praise for his disciples. What's so amazing is that in this same passage, Jesus makes it clear that this prayer is also for us. Jesus is praying for us in 2022. The prayer is all about the mess and it's all about how we relate to each other. And mostly it's about Jesus's role in the middle of the mess. When he was praying in the first century, he was seeing the troubles that we're seeing today. Like this is no surprise to Jesus. Jesus knew that troubles would come. We were having troubles. He was right. So what he gives us in this is a model of how to pray for our people in the mess. How do we pray with our, about our messy relationships? In the first part of this, uh, just to kind of point out, Jesus is praying in a way that we can model after, but he's also Jesus, the Son of God, right? So he kind of says this line, he prays for himself to be glorified, which we don't do, right? But we pray for him to be glorified. When we pray this prayer, we pray for Jesus to be glorified. So Jesus prays a prayer that's in three parts. So here's the first part, John 17, one to five. He prayed this, Father, the hour has come, Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is saying in the third person, he's praying about him getting glory so that people will know his father. The reason Jesus is praying for glory is so that people will know God the Father as the one true God and that they'll know Jesus as his son so that they can have eternal life. If we look at the way Jesus prays for us, we can learn about how we can pray for others. So the first part of this prayer is for those on this earth to have saving knowledge of Jesus, the saving knowledge of Jesus. That's what he's praying for first. The second part of the prayer is verses 6 through 19. I'll read a a few of those verses to you. Jesus said, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. So Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying for his followers to be protected. He says, I've protected them while I've been with them. God, I'm praying that you will protect them, keep them protected. How are we protected? Jesus says it. We are protected by the name like speaking the name over the messiness is how we can find protection for ourselves and for others. Just like God spoke over the chaos, right? At, at creation, he spoke over it and he, so that he could create life out of it. We can speak over the messiness so that we can have life. Speak over the messiness in your life so that you can live. So this part two is, is talking about the protective power of the name of Jesus. The third part of the prayer, this is verses 20 through 26. Again, I'll just share a couple of them with you. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, like you and me, right? That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. His prayer for us 
is that we will be one. How are Jesus and, and God the Father one? They're different, but they're the same, right? How's that for messy? <laughs> the Father and the Son, they're different, but they're actually the same. And if that's true, we can also be different, but the same in, in our lives. So the third part of Jesus' prayer is about the unique unity of those who follow Jesus. Now, by now, as we've been talking about kind of messy relationships, you've you probably got at least one or two um, thoughts in your mind, relationships in your mind that you're just kind of finding, finding there as something that you've been holding on to. Well, I want to invite you to hold on to those as we get back to this prayer that Jesus prayed. So let's kind of walk back through those three parts really quickly. So part one, the saving knowledge of Jesus. Here's what I want you to hear. Instead of trying to fix everything, here's the invitation, pray that they may know God in Jesus. Instead of trying to fix all the messiness and try to fix all the brokenness, just pray that they would know God, that they would know Jesus as the Son of God. Our prayer is for them to, to have a saving knowledge. Like Jesus is praying for his glory so that people will see him, know him, and be saved. And so often as Christians, we feel like we have to fix things that aren't ours to fix. So instead, we just, we pray, like we pray for our children to know Jesus. We pray for our brothers and sisters, our neighbors to know Christ. Like you've got a mess at home with, with your mom or across the country with your, with your parent, pray for them to know God. Admittedly, this could uh, be used as in like a passive aggressive way, <laughs> right? You could say, uh, man, they need Jesus, right? That's not what this is. <laughs> this is saying, man, they need Jesus. Let them know Jesus. People praying that their son, their daughter, their brother would know Jesus. That's what fixes the mess that we find ourselves in. So you have to start praying for the messes in your life. And I, I've had uh, more than one, but there's like one person that comes to mind that's just like for decades, just kind of been like this, this hard relationship. Not even really a relationship, just like a hard presence in my life. And I, I could focus on how bad that person is and how right I am. But instead, when I'm at my best, I'm praying for them to know Jesus, that they may know the fullness of who Jesus is and his love for them. So Jesus prays for his glory, but his glory is about eternal life for all people. So take heart means you start looking forward to your loved one knowing Jesus. Instead of trying to fix everyone and everything, pray that they might know God and Jesus Christ. Back to part two, the protective power of the name of Jesus. Instead of determining everything, pray for their protection. Here's what we do in relationships, especially the ones that mean the most to us. We, we try to determine how everything's going to go. We try to set the course for our kids' lives. We try to set the course for our, our spouse's life. We try to just determine the future that they're going to have. And here's the truth. You can't determine your loved one's future. Not your parents, not your spouse. That's not your place. It's not your role to determine that, right? You can pray for them and pray for their protection. Jesus prayed for, for our protection, that we might be protected. He did not say, God, okay, here's what needs to happen next in Pierce's life. Like um, A, B, C, just make that happen. He didn't say that about his disciples. He doesn't say about us. 
Jesus prays, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I have kept them safe by that name, Jesus says. So instead of determining everything, pray for their protection and the messiness. And the third part of that prayer, again, is this, this idea of this, this unique unity of those who follow Jesus. And the thing that for us to take away from this is that instead of defending everything, we're going to pray for unity. Instead of defending your ground, instead of defending your word, instead of defending your belief, pray for unity. Unity for Jesus' followers is quite different than what we think of as unity in the world. Here's what I mean. Unity does not mean unanimity. Unanimity means everyone involved agrees. Where, do you, where are you in, your, in the world right now where everyone involved agrees? This is not what unity means for Jesus' followers. Unity does not mean uniformity. Uniformity means that we all look the same, right? Like we're all dressed the same. We all look the same. We all act exactly the same. And all Jesus' followers do not look alike. <laughs> we don't worship the same. We don't dress the same. So the kind of unity that Jesus is inviting his disciples to is very unique. And our unity is found in Jesus. Nothing else. Jesus says our unity will be like his unity with the Father. God is in him. He is in God. Why would we get a sense that we need to defend everything, like defend our turf and our, and our ideas? We have found conflict among so many people that we're supposed to love, right? Our neighbors, our fellow citizens, our fellow Christians, fellow followers of Jesus and family members, because we thought unity meant thinking alike and looking alike. And so that leads us having to defend every little belief that we have and every little thought that we have, and that derails relationships. If we spend all of our time defending things that we're, we're taking ourselves out of relationship. And so what happens in this is that families kind of don't talk anymore because they think differently on politics or on a virus that showed up a couple years ago. And churches don't hang out together anymore because they worship in a different way. They look different. Here's something that is, is really amazing. Two weeks from tonight, from, from, from this Thursday, uh, January the 27th, we are going to be worshiping together with our brothers and sisters at Corona Baptist Church. They're just down the road from us. We've done a lot of things with them in the past. Their, their pastor, Bishop Bobby Sanders, we've, we've asked him to come and to share with us on that night, on the 27th. It's going to be a really special time of worship. And majority of the people in his church don't look like a majority of the people in this church. But we're going to be able to come together in a unique kind of unity. And I tell you what, what I picture in my head, what my heart is holding on to, is that as we gather together on the 27th, that we'll have this like this taste of what the kingdom of God actually looks like, actually feels like. You know what? It's going to be messy because, you know, we'll do things different from another church, right? But we're going to come together in, in unity and God is going to do an amazing thing in the midst of that. See, you just don't have to defend everything that you think is just, just to your liking. When Jesus faced his biggest accusations, his biggest criticism, when he was asked to defend who he was and, and what he stood for, he was standing before the Sanhedrin, the highest priests of the law, and he, he wouldn't answer their criticism. 
There's this time in the Gospel of Mark, they say to him, are you not going to answer? Like they're coming at him with all this stuff. And he's silent and he says, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus, it says, remained silent and gave no answer. It's startling when we know that Jesus has all of the answers. We want to say to him like a hero in a, in a bad movie, like defend yourself. Jesus showed us that you don't have to defend yourself at every turn or respond to every Facebook post or every comment. You don't have to do it. A wise person in the way of Jesus listens for truth in the criticism that's coming at them, learns from it, and doesn't even have to fight back. And by doing so, it preserves unity and a chance to share Jesus more and more. See, Jesus kind of creates a new space. That's like what he's all about. That's what the kingdom is a new space where unity can actually be preserved. And he invites us to walk right in there with him. All right, to picture this mess, maybe, maybe it's your, your family. <laughs> maybe you're, when we're talking about messiness, you're thinking of your family. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your, your marriage right now. And yes, it needs to be cleaned up right now. But just kind of see the mess for a minute. <laughs> Is there even beauty in the messiness of what you, because you're striving so hard, because you long for something so much that there might even be beauty in the messiness? And now try to move from just seeing the mess to seeing the people that you're in relationship with and pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them to, to know God and Jesus. Pray for them to be protected. Pray for them to be one, united, with you. We're going to take a minute to, to, to pray for those um, relationships that have kind of come to mind, these, these difficult, messy relationships. I invite you to do that with me now. God, as we have focused on this, this call of Jesus, as he invites us to look at the trouble around us and to recognize it and come face to face with it, the messiness of this life, because we're reminded that Jesus said it would come. It's going to be here. There's more of it to come. It's not going to go away. You're going to live in a little bit of messiness in this, in this world because it's not yet perfect. The kingdom of heaven has not yet come down and made all things right. There's messiness and brokenness even in our relationships. And so God, we lift them up to you now. We pray that they that we, that they would come to know you in your fullness. That we would come to give our lives to Jesus Christ, that we would be humble before you. And as we're bowing side by side with those that we're in messy relationships with, we're on the same level. And our hearts can be united. We can experience the protection that comes through the name of Jesus Christ. So God, offer us life in the messiness today. Help us to see you drawing us into life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.